0: Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Power Hour the Heritage Foundation Center for Energy, Climate, and Environments podcast. I'm your host, Jack Spencer, and I'm joined today by my colleague and Power Hour producer, John Puck. John, how are you today? Oh, Jack, I am so, so good, so ready to fired up and ready to go. Let's do this. All right. I I also am excited. This is going to be a little bit of a different podcast. We're going to do something. I might even say this is a special edition podcast. I love that. In fact, given that we are talking about a very current issue. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We need to publish this as soon as we can. Okay. So we can get it to our listeners. Our our listeners are going to get two episodes. Wow. Yeah, not just a special episode, a bonus episode. Bonus episode, episode, I love it. Yes. But let's first get to our housekeeping. Our email address is heritage.org. So shoot me an email. If you like this sort of content that we're coming up, that we're going to do today, sort of breaking news type stuff, let me know. Again, that email address is the Power The power Hour at heritage.org. John, how can folks find us? Just look up herd at heritage, the power hour,
0: and just Google that, bing it, whatever you do. and you can find it at all your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, you you ricochet, and also please subscribe to the Power Hour and share with your friends.
1: Yes. Please do that. Our numbers are pretty good, but we want them to be better. We That's want, right. We want to be the best podcast. Well, we already are the best podcast, but I want us to be the most listened to podcast ever. There you go. Ever. So let's do go. that. All right. Now, in coming weeks, we're going to be talking about what we need to get America's energy policy back on track, why access to affordable energy is so important to the United States, and we'll be focusing on America's commercial nuclear industrial base. So if you have questions about those sorts of things send me an email i will ask those exact questions now every once in a while there's some big policy news story that i thought folks might appreciate if we went off script a little bit today and discussed one of those issues now as you may have been following there's this big budget battle going on in washington and there there are threats of a government shutdown right so let's talk about that now I wanted to bring in a real expert on this this issue, but as you can imagine, John, given the short notice, because we just decided we're going to do this a, a, right. a day or two ago, those guys, those folks are in high demand, and I couldn't get one of those. So I thought I'd reach out to some sort of second-tier type folks. At least someone has some experience in this. And wouldn't you know it, I still couldn't find anyone. Ugh. Couldn't, not even second-tier folks. So. <laughs> I don't like taking no for an answer. So you, know, you know what I did? What did you do? I put an ad up on Craigslist offering a tuna sandwich wow. for anyone that would come talk to me about budget issues on wow. this podcast. And luckily, I got a bite. <laughs> oh, We got our guest today, Mr. Richard Stern. <laughs> Well, thank you. Do I get the sandwich now or later? Take...
2: No, no. As I specified, <laughs> once we're done, then I'll give you the and then sandwich. Richard gets a bite you know, <laughs> of the sandwich. <laughs> right. Well, that's how taxes work. You <laughs> right. take ninety percent of the sandwich; I get the other ten percent. Right, all right. No. And, uh, and the bread uh, stale. <laughs> obviously, I'm kidding. Richard is
1: quite honestly the best person I know to help us understand what's going on. Now, you might remember we had him on a previous podcast where we talked about the Inflation Reduction Act. But if you don't, Richard is the director of the Heritage Foundation's Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget. He spent a bunch of years on Capitol Hill where he did all kinds of stuff, including leading efforts to develop conservative budgets. But more than all that, the dude is just straight up smart. Maybe the smartest guy that I know. Wow. Certainly the smartest guy in this room. <laughs> and I this, can say and that for room. sure. <laughs> so we know of two rooms that he's the smartest guy in. So we're going to start off today talking government shutdown, but because he can talk about anything, God only knows where we're going to end up. So, Richard,
2: welcome to the Power Hour. Thank you, Jack. Pleasure to be back here again. And, you know, those are the only two rooms I'm the smartest person in, Uh but we'll see if we can expand that. And, you know, I have to say the reason I had to reach out to you through Craigslist, of course, is the D.C. cartel threw me out of Congress for trying to cut spending. But we're going to get into that and so much more. Right, right. Exactly. So... Tell folks,
1: let's just start off with what is going on with this shutdown. First, no, I need to I need to say something before I ask you the question. I hate that they call them shutdowns. I know because they are not shutdowns. At best, they are right sizing operations. Like if we could maintain it forever, or clerical rounding errors. That's the way I think about it. <laughs> sure. So anyway, what's going on with this? And uh, last time we try to come back to energy and environment. If if an energy and environment thing comes up, that's fine. But I want our listeners, this is about bringing them up to speed on something that they might be seeing in the news. So I
2: I think you hit the nail on the head. I think here's the important thing to, to think about all this. You read the Constitution, you think of what the founders talked about, they envisioned a government that was small, that was efficient, that handled just the enumerated powers that are in a very short but beautiful document, the U.S. Constitution. So the idea was you'd have an appropriations committee in Congress and they would handle the money. So they would decide, of the money we've stolen out of your paycheck, sorry, taken forcibly out of your paycheck. How do we use that money? It's supposed to be an annual process with hearings, full view of the American public, a transparent process to decide which agencies for which purposes, et cetera, et cetera. Now, like all good things in DC, that got broken pretty quickly. But the truth is we held to something like that philosophy for a long time. Now, back in the the 60s, the 70s was the last moment that most government spending was actually done this way through the annual discretionary appropriations process on the things you would think of as the government, the highways, you know, the military, regulators, things of that nature. That was the last year was back in 73 or 74. Since then, the majority of spending and now almost 80% of federal spending is transfers, welfare programs, interest payments on the national debt, things like that. So when we talk about a shutdown, you're right. It's no longer a shutdown of the government. Because the vast majority of what the government does is mandatory autopilot, caked into law, no annual review, no congressional oversight over it. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the about a fifth of the budget that's left that mostly funds the regulators, the military, all of those woke grants you hear about. Here's your first environmental thing. All of those grants that go to solar panel farms and the people that are trying to screw up, I mean, right size, the U.S. energy industry. So why is it a shutdown we're talking about? Well, being an annual appropriations process that's supposed to have review, the fiscal year ends at the end of September because you're supposed to pass a new bill once a year. It's an accountability measure to make sure that Congress is actually thinking this through, talking to the American public. Here we are. September's almost over. We're about to get to October. It's the end of the fiscal year. And yeah, we've had basically no tra- public transparent process in this at all. In fact, of the 12 regular props bills supposed to go through Congress, only one of them, has actually gone through either chamber of Congress. While we're looking at the end of the fiscal year, leadership is still planning on putting some of these bills on the floor to have show debates, despite the fact that we've already reached the end of the fiscal year. Now, your listeners are saying, what does it mean though, right? Am am I gonna lose my social security paychecks or something else? Absolutely not. Social security paychecks still go out the door, right? Those kind of welfare benefits mostly still work. In fact, most of the discretionary part of the federal government, the military, essential workers, they're still going to draw salaries. They're still going to come to work. So, again, to your point, a shutdown is at best a third of a third and maybe even less of the government that kind of temporarily ceases operations for a minute. That's what we're looking at if Congress doesn't pass something at the end of the month. Now, am I going to cry if regulators have to go home and not regulate? No. In fact, I might be encouraged about that. So what is the issue that is driving the potential shutdown? Like what's the argument? Absolutely. So at some macro level, the issue is what is the role of the government? What is its purpose in our lives? What is the appropriate scope of its regulation of, of everything we do and its theft of the fruits of our labor? So that's the big question, right? But you're a brass tax guy. Let's get into it. So there's kind of three things going on. So one is the spending level, right? So there's this whole fight, and I could bore you all to death with numbers 1471, 1526, 1590. I promise these are all real numbers. So that's the overall top line of discretionary spending. Is it closer to 1.6 trillion? Is it closer to 1.5 trillion? It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot in terms of the future trajectory of federal spending. If we got the numbers that, you know, Jackie, you and I would want, that could be two plus trillion dollars of reduced spending over 10 years. That's money that stays in your paychecks. That's new money the Fed doesn't print that causes inflation. So that's the first fight, right, is how much money are we going to take from you through regular taxes and inflation taxes to feed the beast? The second issue is... Border security, some of these other issues, dewoken, deweaponizing de-weaponizing the FBI, things you've been hearing about. This gets into the power of purse, not just how much money is going out the door to these agencies, but what can they do with that money? How much flexibility does Biden and his cronies have to use it to come down your throat and up other places and go and break, beat down the doors of small businesses around America? Now, the third issue is kind of an expansion of that one. There are hundreds of what are called limitation provisions strewn throughout all the appropriations bills, and they are little nuanced things like this. You can spend money on this, you can't spend it on that. The EPA can use money to regulate this, but not on that. So that's kind of the broad fight. It's the spending levels, it's this kind of pointed issue about border security, some of these kind of niche issues that's in the news right now about the role of government, and then it's these hundreds of limitation provisions that either allow the regulators to do whatever they want, or tie their hands and have them have to come back to Congress where the American people can have real oversight and accountability over what the government does. So that's the fight we're looking at. So what you're talking
1: about basically is discretionary and mandatory spending. That's part of what you were talking about. The mandatory being that huge piece and the discretionary being a much smaller piece. And it's that discretionary part that this is all about. Now, I. One of the things that I always found interesting in the budget discussions, and I'm curious where you are on this, a lot of people who want to drive down, who fiscal hawks who recognize the importance of this massive debt to our country often focus on that mandatory side. And so when it comes to discretionary, which is some of what this fight's about, they are less hawkish on it because they say you're not going to drive down long-term debt by messing with discretionary. I've never really aggr- – I, I, the math is not up for debate, I guess. But I always thought these discretionary fights were well worth it because you get so much big government bang for your buck through discretionary. As you pointed out, you're not just – it's the regulators who are paid through this. And the regulators have all this impact throughout the economy and our lives and that sort of thing. So for, for me um, – I like these fights, and I wish that our side would stay stronger
2: longer more often. Oh, you know, I'm with you all the time. Look, if everybody in Congress was a clone of Jack, we'd be fine, right? (laughs) You know, a clone of me, not so much. Jack, absolutely. But, you know, I'll tell you this, though, right? So I'm not really a sports person. You guys are about to figure that out, but I've got a sports analogy for you, right? So, you know, what is it that we always talk about with football, right? There's all the statistics. You can know all the players, everything going on. But at the end of the day, it's a game on a random Sunday. Anything can happen. So, I'll tell you this about the math, right? And, and you know, my, my fellow fiscal hawks do exactly what you're talking about. They've ignored the discretionary side for decades. They focused on the mandatory side. What mandatory reforms have we gotten? Next to nothing. What's happened on the discretionary side? So it used to be that it grew slowly, that Congress every year they came to the well was actually, you're going to hear me say it once and only once, responsible about their increases in discretionary spending. Now, what's happened over the last decade? What's happened over the last six, seven years? which is that the pluses up in discretionary spending have been so impactful, have been so large, that what you've actually gotten is more spending in discretionary terms than you've gotten in increases in healthcare spending. So you think about this, the major driver of mandatory spending is changes in healthcare programs. Congress every year coming to the well and just randomly plusing up discretionary spending has beaten healthcare spending by a mile just in the last six, seven years. So at the end of the day, We can look at the trajectories but all that is is where the law is today if congress wanted to stand up at any moment on any sunday and say we're going to change the laws you change the trajectory what they've done with discretionary spending has added more to the debt burden than healthcare spending has done and that is that is disturbing so you know i think where we are right now is all of this matters from the spending side of it but then jack you're absolutely right All of the regulators, all of the people that have strangled the economy, that make it hard to get into business, that make it hard to produce real things in this country to offer jobs, those regulators are funded entirely out of that discretionary part of the budget. It's time the conservatives reasserted ourselves on this. Now, one of the observations you always see in the news
1: is that – well, they will say Republicans. I don't like to get political about it because it's just not my thing. Let's say conservatives always lose these fights, and therefore maybe they shouldn't even engage in them. Given a historical perspective, do conservatives always lose? It feels like they often lose, but do they always lose? Like, Is there a political
2: win to be had, or sort of what are your thoughts on that? We've actually won a lot. So there's actually all kinds of – so we've had some spending cuts in the past. The Budget Control Act was a perfect example. We actually shaved off – probably trillions of dollars over a decade or a few decades of government spending through BCA. That was a real win on spending, to your point. Something that no one thinks we ever get. But I'll give you the other one. We get wins on limitation provisions every year. It's little slight things that tie the hands of the regulators, that tie the hands of the agencies. All of those are important. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think here's the difference between the left and the right. The left is like, there's some problem today. How am I going to solve it? What's your problem? I'm going to kill the guy you don't like. I'll take his money and I'll give it to you and boom, problem solved. Now, we all know that doesn't really solve problems. So what do conservatives offer? Conservatives offer faith and optimism in the future. They offer a vision where we can work together, where we can build, we can innovate, we can figure out real solutions to the problems of today. Here's the rub of that. You say, okay, great. Where's the solution? Point to it. I can't point to it. Look, if I knew what the next innovation was, if I knew what that next miracle thing was that was going to save us from the burdens of the present, I wouldn't be here. I'd be a billionaire. I'd be sitting on a beach somewhere having invented that new innovation. Somebody else would do it. But you know, that's the problem with conservatives, is that we trade in faith and optimism. The left trades in hard kind of, I will kill this guy today to give you their stuff today. So if you have a nation that's faithful and optimistic, you can reach them. But if you've got a nation that's pessimistic, that's material focused, that wants to see results today, that thinks that their problems are are because of some bad guy, it's harder to reach them. So it's harder to point to those wins because our wins are regulations that didn't happen. They're just destruction of the economy that didn't happen. It's businesses that are formed that people take for granted that we know wouldn't have been formed if we had let them win. But we do get victories. Conservatives just need to stay bold. What do you think is going to happen this time? I think we're going to get a shutdown at least for a few days now. again, Slow down. Slow down. Here's the thing. Why do I call it a shutdown? Because I'm optimistic. When I hear (laughs) shutdown, what I think of is regulators going home, crying over their not finished drafted rules, being like, oh, man, I really wanted to destroy, obliterate these thousands of small businesses, these business owners that give jobs to people. Man, I just wanted to ruin their day. I like the idea of those people being at home, not writing these regulations, but, but you're right. It's a slowdown. I think we're going to get a little bit of that, but you know, frankly, I think we're going to get some conservative wins here. I think conservatives have been holding strong. They've made real demands. This looks like the first time in over a decade that we're probably going to get a spending cut, an actual spending cut, not just a cut to the growth rates when we finally settle this all out. Do you think that is the
1: left, it, not the far left, the center left. Given the massive amounts of spending that we've incurred since COVID, has that even made some of them shy away from, or I should say, be more sympathetic
2: to bringing some fiscal sanity to government? I think it has. So, you know, the one thing that happens when there's inflation is everyone all of a sudden realizes, where does inflation come from? It comes from the government, right? Like, even a lot of center-left Democrats already get this notion. In fact, you've got people like Krugman, right? is not wrong, you know, right not right most of the time. You've got Larry Summers, who's usually wrong all the time. Both of them have actually already said things like that. You know, the government spent too much money, created inflation. And you know, the truth is, you know, for everyone listening out there, that's how it works. Like inflation is when there's more dollars, the bits of paper of pictures of presidents on them than goods and services. Well, you and I, when we borrow money or we spend money, unless you're doing something I didn't know about, you don't counterfeit it, right? You know, we didn't steal that money. We earned it by providing real goods and services, real value to the other people. How does the government get its money? It's all not meritorious. It's either forcibly taking from somebody, it's printing more of those tokens, those piece of paper presidents on it. So the government is in a unique position, a truly unique position, to produce money that was not backed up by the production of real goods and services. So at the end of the day, inflation literally can only have one source, and it is the government feeding itself at your expense through the quiet tax of inflation.
1: And, you know, I think one of the things that often gets missed in discussions about inflation this time around is that not only did the government create the conditions that you just described, but they put it on steroids by artificially tamping down on production um, through the through the lockdowns so you know one of the things having been in in in, in these um, debates and fights for years and you probably have seen the same thing is as conservatives we would often argue you keep spending you're going to get inflation and then inflation wouldn't happen and one could argue that there was a element of crying wolf and that I think empowered the left and whenever you had the massive amounts of spending combined with the government shutdowns there
2: literally was no other pressure valve other than inflation and that's what we're saying absolutely but i'll give you one other thing about this right so i think a lot of what screwed us up frankly was conservatives were talking about inflation and in goods and services that didn't happen because of the money printing because of the government spending There actually was inflation that happened. It just wasn't in goods and services. There was inflation in assets, in housing, stocks, bonds. Then you might say, well, that's a good thing when my stocks go up in price, kind of. The bad thing is when housing goes up in price, stocks go up in price, and there isn't real production that comes out of that. So if you're a holder of capital, you're a holder of stocks and and housing, you're kind of okay. But what's happening broadly across the economy when there's asset inflation is that it's actually a statement that the economy is less productive. We have more – You can think of capital as tools. Capital is a fancy econ word, but it's really just tools. It's the buildings. It's the factory equipment. It's the stuff we use to produce stuff. When that goes up in value but there's not real production that comes out of it, it's meaning that the tools are less valuable. They're less useful. The economy is less efficient, more sluggish. Does this sound sound like the last 20 years of U.S. economic history? Of course it does. So the truth is – We had all of this inflation going on in assets. We had misallocation of capital. We had inefficient growth in the economy that gave us a sluggish economy where people can't afford a home, where they feel like their wages are falling behind, where they feel like they can't afford the lifestyle that their parents had. All of that is another form of inflation. It's the iceberg that's under the water. That was happening, but I agree with you. We got blamed for crying wolf because we didn't talk about the right kind of inflation that was going on. So in closing, How should our listeners think about –
1: so the the, the media is going to frame this in a certain way. Help our listeners understand how they should think about it, what they should – why they should or should not believe what the
2: media is telling them. The media is going to focus, to your point, on what the government provides. And they're going to make the case that all conservatives are doing is denying you free stuff. So ask yourself this question. If we really could just produce free stuff, if the government could just print up housing and food and clothes and healthcare services and all these other things we use and rely on, why don't we do this all the time? Why aren't we all living like millionaires in our own villas with servants and the reason is the government doesn't create anything other than regulations. So what the left is really pitching is a government that wants to steal more to redirect more, to destroy businesses that actually produce stuff, to hand just the scraps from what they've destroyed back to you and pretend like it was a gift. Conservatives are coming from the approach that makes sense, which is an understanding that the government fundamentally gets everything it gets by having beat somebody over the head, stealing from them, burning half of it on the way out the door, and then giving you another half of that and pretending like they're doing you a favor. So that's why conservatives are like, it is worth shutting down the government to try to fight for a more efficient government that steals less from us. Because at the end of the day, a, sh- a government that just runs out the clock, that spends more of your money, that regulates us, us into oblivion, it's not a government that's doing you favors. You'd be better off with the government shutdown.
1: All right, Richard, that's the final word. Well, almost the final word. I want to ask you, uh, do you have like, are you on social media or is there anything that you want to draw people's attention
2: to, anything recently written or anyone on your team is written, where should folks go to learn more? Regrettably on social media. You can find me at Rich A. Stern on Twitter uh, for all the hot takes and all the X. fun stuff. On X, that's right. Yes, the, the, the patriotic version of it, right? <laughs> uh, but actually, so my colleague, David Ditch, who's, who's brilliant about this topic as well, he and I just penned a special report that came out that is all about the spending spree under COVID. It's all about the massive plus up in government spending. And it's got a beautiful section there, very large one, talking about All of these economic impacts we're talking about. How the government steals your lunch, how it created inflation, all of these sorts of things. So check that out as well. All right. Very good. John, any final words? Any final questions? Yes. uh,
0: I don't know about this government shutdown thing, but hearing you talk about it, thank you. A guy like me can understand it and make sense out of it because you're right. Everything is out there. Oh, the world's going to end. They're going to shut the government down. So it's like, you know, Please shut it down
1: for a little while <laughs> <laughs> for your there mouth you. of yeah <laughs> i'm giving john the last word oh. that that was what we need to hear not the last last word because i need to remind people of course to email us at the power hour at heritage.org i need to thank john for being a great colleague and a great producer of the show i need to thank richard stern for being a guest and most of all i need to thank all of you for tuning in and listening we'll see you next time